Hello and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Today we are celebrating 100 episodes of Dismantle Racism. Um, we have done, I cannot believe it, 100 episodes, or at least today will be 100 episodes. And I think about it, how strange it is to say that we're celebrating because we're talking about such a serious topic like dismantling racism and racial equity. And so what exactly is it that we're celebrating? Because really, we really shouldn't have to dismantle racism if we lived in a world where everyone uh, treated each other with love and respect and with kindness. But because racism does exist, there's a need to have shows like this. And what I am celebrating today, I am celebrating the fact that we are all gathered here and we are interested in changing the world. We are all engaged in the work of racial justice, or at least I hope you are, if you're tuning into this show, that you in some way are very passionate about the work of dismantling racism. I'm celebrating how uh, grateful I am to each of the guests who consider it, uh, I consider it an honor and a privilege that my guests would even come on this show, that they would take the time out to come so that they can teach me and can teach my listeners about things that we can do to continue in this journey of dismantling racism. I'm celebrating, of course, you, my listeners and subscribers. I so appreciate the fact that you tune into this show. And I'm celebrating you as you continue the journey of uh, dismantling racism. That is worthy of celebration. As you know, if you've been listening to the show, whether you've caught one, two, three episodes or more, you know that the goal of this show is to educate, to uncover, to eradicate, to dismantle racism. And to create a world where racial equity exists for everyone, where it is the norm. And so for over two years, I've brought guests on this show to really just have conversations with them about how they engage in the work of racial equity in hopes of giving you, the listeners, an idea of how you might do the same thing. I often hear people saying they don't know what to do, how to engage in this work. And you know, I always use Arthur Ashe's quote, start where you are, use what you have and do what you can. And so I believe when I bring the guest on the show and they tell their personal stories, their journeys of how they got to be where they are, it will help the everyday person to figure out what you can do to dismantle racism. We are all called to this work at various levels. And so that's why on the show, I have people who come from all walks of life to talk about their experiences. And I hope that what my listeners will get from each guest is that they will at least be encouraged and strengthened and motivated to continue this work. Because listen, it is very demanding to do the work of justice no matter what it is that you are seeking to be an advocate for, for justice, the work is demanding. It is not for the faint of heart. And so I want to encourage you to continue in the journey. I want to encourage you to continue to listen to the show because over the last couple of years, we've had entrepreneurs on the show to talk about their personal growth um, as it related to even just expanding their business and being more inclusive in their business or their marketing or how they recognize racism in their daily lives. We've had activists on the show who marched in Ferguson, Missouri after Michael Brown was murdered. We've had activists who marched in Charlottesville, Virginia during the Unite the Right rally. We've had an individual on the show to come on to talk about the training that he does as a clergy and an activist. And he teaches people in a militant, nonviolent, civil disobedience manner um, to engage in the work of social justice, which is really important. We've heard stories on this show of people who have sat down, the ancestors of enslaved people who've sat down with the ancestors of enslavers. We've had politicians on the show who were advocating for justice for Aidan Ellison, who you know was killed out 
in Ashland, Oregon, a couple of years ago, we've heard perspectives on how to reconcile a lynching and how to mobilize masses of white people to become activists. I could go on and on and on about the shows that we have had. And I want to say that I am grateful again to each and every guest who thought it not robbery, as 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 the old folks would say, to be present and to be on this show to help us continue in this journey. And so I want to thank you again, my listeners, for all of your support and the work that you are doing in this world. So I wanted to start, I'll be a little bit brief today, but I want to start as I always do with just a meditation to get us breathing, to get us centered, to get us focused on the conversation that we are going to have today with my guests, who I'm honored to, very, very honored that she would come and to celebrate my 100th episode with me today. And so what I'm going to do is to invite you to close your eyes, as I always do, so that we can just begin to breathe. And then I'm going to read one of my meditations from my book, Dismantling Racism, Healing Separation from the Inside Out. I want to encourage you, as always, if you've not picked up a copy, to please do so. But close your eyes, if you would, for a minute and just begin to breathe in and out at a very slow pace, connecting with your breath, connecting with your divine wisdom, your sacred intelligence, connecting with that part of you that gives you life and power. Just breathe in and out. Allow your body to settle into your chair. If your feet are planted on the floor, just feel the floor supporting you. Or if you're outside, the earth supporting you. And just breathe in and out and listen to the sound of my voice as I read these words. Beloved spirit, In gratitude, we say thank you for all who came before us and showed us what it means to manifest the sacred within us. Let us remember their resolve to make the world a better place for us, doing so in small and big ways. Let us remember how they lived with integrity, holding themselves and those around them accountable. Let us remember how they walked in truth and showed us what it means to be ethical. Let us remember how they worked together and cared for their neighbors who extended beyond their corners of the world. Let us remember their tenacity, courage, and determination to advocate for the least of these. Let us remember that they practiced discernment, relished wisdom, and walked by faith. We're grateful to them and remember them with love and hope in our hearts. So we take a deep breath in, recognizing that the power of one contributes to the power of community, and you have the ability to change the status quo. Take a deep breath in and blow it out slowly. And we say, and so it is, Ashe and Amen. Beloved, today on the show, I am really, really delighted to have my guest here, Michelle Duster. Michelle has spanned over 30 years, uh, her career has spanned over 30 years being an author, a historian. She's focused on and highlighted and celebrated and documented African-Americans and women who have made the United States what it is, including her paternal great-grandmother, Ida B. Wells. 
She started as an advertising copywriter and has worked on articles, books, films, monuments, murals, markers, street names, and festivals, which we will get into some of that as she tells her story today. She is, again, an author of so many books, but she recently, in 2022, published Ida B. Wells' Voice of Truth, which was released again in January of 2022, and an adult book, Ida B. The Queen, The Extraordinary Life and Legacy of Ida B. Wells. She um, has also consulted with the Ida B. Wells doll, which we are excited about. That also came out in January 2022, which is uh, a Mattel doll, a Barbie doll, so to speak. Uh, which which Mattel has an inspiring women's Barbie doll series. And I'm so, so grateful that Ida B. Wells was one of those. I, I really actually feel a little um, funny saying Ida B. Wells, particularly with having Michelle on, on the show, because I was raised that you put a handle on your elder's name, but we always uh, refer to her as Ida B. Wells. And so I'm just offering my apologies right now, Michelle, for not saying Mrs. Wells. But I am really, truly excited to bring Michelle on the show. And um, I'm going to bring her in. I know we'll be, we, we'll be taking a break in just a few minutes. But I want to just welcome you to the show, Michelle. I'm so excited that you could be with me today. So we are going to um, start, Michelle. You know, it's very interesting because when we talked pre-show and we were talking about your great-grandmother and really the importance of knowing history, and you said something very interesting that a lot of people didn't even find out who your your great-grandmother was until they went to college. Now, I didn't say anything to you at that point. But I was one of those people. And what's even sadder is that I went to high school in the same hometown where your great grandmother was born. And so it's a travesty to me that I could go through 12 years of school and not be taught about a woman who was so significant to the history of this country. And not really know about her until I got to college. And so I want to thank you personally for the work that you are doing to help the world to know not just about her, but all the women in history. So I want to, again, welcome you to the show. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, I want to just jump in and and ask you lots of questions about your family history, but as well about the work that you are doing. So I don't know if you want to say hello before we jump to our commercial (laughs) break. I want to allow you a chance to do that. Um, Yes. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show, Dr. Avery. Um, I'm excited to share with your audience um, information about my great grandmother and um, different projects that I'm working on and just um, what I believe is the real um, need to mm. have uh, for all of us to to engage in working on projects um, that help have um, fair and equal representation and truth um, mm. in our country's history. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. So we're going to come back with the Dismantle Racism show where my guest today is Michelle Duster. And we are going to not only be talking about the legacy of Ida B. Wells, but we're going to be talking about why it's important for truth to be told in our history as well. We will be right back with the Dismantle Racism show. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asnell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify, your business today. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. 
Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with my guest today, Michelle Duster, and Michelle Duster is a public historian who really advocates for uh, truth and really for women and African-American stories being brought to life in history. And she does so in a number of ways. And so we're going to be talking about that. But Michelle, let's get started by um, telling our audience who was Ida B. Wells, because I just said it as if the world knows, and we know that that's not actually true. So what do you want to tell us about who Ida B. Wells was? Well, Ida B. Wells was, um, oh, my great-grandmother who was born into slavery in 1862 in Holly Springs, Mississippi, which was only um, three years before the Civil War ended. And so she spent her infancy um, enslaved, although the Emancipation Proclamation came out in, uh, when she was about six months old. Um, but she um, she was able to become formally educated because uh, she grew up during Reconstruction. She went on to become a, a journalist. She started as a, a teacher. She became a journalist. And within journalism, she became a, a pioneer in data journalism when she chronicled the realities regarding lynching. Um, she later on got involved in the suffrage movement, uh, which is the fight for the right to vote. And um, so she was involved in helping women gain the right to vote um, as a result of the 19th Amendment in 1920. Um, In Chicago, she settled in Chicago ultimately, and she um, did work that today is considered social work, where she helped Southern migrants adjust to life in Chicago, providing housing and job training and job placement for them. Um, And then she ultimately... Um, actually uh, got involved in politics herself. She ran for office. So she did many things. In addition to being a mother of four children, her youngest daughter was my grandmother, my father's grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so that's that was basically what she did. That's like all she did, right? Now I'm just kind of changed history. Well, well, and I was going to say, you, you, you say it, and it's like, boom, this is what she did. But it's incredible work that she did. And, you know, Michelle, one of the things that I'm amazed by women like Ida B. Wells and Harriet Tubman and, and lots of those women, I think about the courage it took for them to do what they did, because from what I've read about your great grandmother and the way that she inspires me, I my understanding was that. First of all, she was in her 20s when she developed this newspaper and began to start writing. And I think when I think about what 26 year old people are doing now, I mean, that's incredible. And I think it's important for people to know also her newspaper was burned down, wasn't it? Her her press was burned and it was destroyed. Yes, yes. And And the reason why I want to highlight that is because often many of the people that I work with, 
when we're talking about doing this work of dismantling racism, we must know that it comes with a cost. Now, it may not come with them burning down our house uh, or, or, or something of that nature, but there are sacrifices that we have to make. And I think it's important when you're talking about the women in history that we really need to think about the women and the African-Americans that they sacrifice so much for us to be where we are. And so I'm wondering for you, how does that sit with you to kind of think about the courage of your great grandmother and others in your family when you when you when you know the experience that they went to, through well one of the things that i've tried to do in my work specifically the books that i've written about um Ida B Wells is to humanize her because what i find um many times i mean i i meet a lot of people who uh, are familiar with her story and are in awe of her. They revere her, that she's their spiritual godmother. She's their shero. They're, you know, all kinds of ways that people sort of, I think, sort of put her on a pedestal, which is wonderful that people are inspired by her. But I also think that um, it, when people are put too high on a, on a pedestal, then they become, um, they, they become in, not human, you know, they're sort of become sort of um, godlike or something and intangible. And so what I have tried to do in the work that I've that I've been doing, writing books and um, working on these different projects, but also um, even when I do a lot of speaking engagements, I want people to understand that she was actually human. She was a real woman who had the same emotions that all of us have. She went through different emotional challenges. Um, one of the things that I really kind of, I, I guess I could say enjoyed, um, or I found enlightening when I was doing the research for my books was reading her um, diary that she wrote in Memphis. It mm-hmm. is published. It's called the Memphis Diary. And that really helped me um, sort of understand that she had a lot of the same insecurities and disappointments and frustrations and all kinds of the same emotions we all have. The difference maybe between her and some of the rest of us is that she kind of pushed through them and she drew on strength um, and she was very focused and very uh, determined. She had a mission. And I think sometimes when you have a mission, then you can overcome and push through maybe some of some of the things that might stop you otherwise, because mm-hmm. you just get to the point where you don't really care mm-hmm. um, what other people might think about you. You might not care about the um, challenges that are thrown in your way or the barriers that are thrown in your way because you're so focused and determined on what your goal is. And I think a lot of us um, might get into that situation where you just you just become laser beam focused mm. um, and you kind of can ignore the naysayers and and even your own you know sort of inner chatter and just yeah. move on with what you want to get done yeah you know it's interesting that you how you say that you want to humanize her because I think one of the things that really has helped me in this journey is really thinking about those individuals as humans like really thinking about what must it been like at 26 years old or to have brothers and sisters that you had to care for and all of these things. And so what was it like, what has it been like for you uh, being the great granddaughter? Have you felt like there's this sense of pressure to, to do this work or what have been the kind of stories that are in the house you know we all have our family stories about things that have happened so what's that been what's that journey been like for you well as I mentioned um Ida B Wells had four children and her youngest daughter was my grandmother Um, her name was Alfreda Duster she's the one who edited and got her mother's uh, autobiography published and so I grew up knowing my great my grandmother very well um, I spent a lot of time with her as a child. We used to go swimming every Saturday, my father, my brothers, and my grandmother and me. Um, and so I spent a lot of time with her just every Saturday. I used to spend the night in her apartment um, along with her sister, 
uh, lived with her my whole life. Um, so I actually knew both of the daughters of, of Ida. My grandmother was just the more active person when it came to um, doing the work to help people remember her mother. Um, so that's how, you know, people know her a little bit more than my aunt. But for me, um, it's kind of hard to not think of whatever your experience is as normal, because that's all I knew was, you know, that I was part of this family that had an ancestor who was famous during her time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also, like I said, I mentioned I'm related to Ida B. Wells on my father's side of the family. Um, but my mother was the person that I, who raised me. Um, mm-hmm. I knew my mother. I grew up in the same house as my mother. And so my mother obviously had a huge influence on me. And my mother also made sure that we recognized that we she had a family, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yes. my mom was very, very adamant about you know, making sure that it wasn't like, okay, you only have one relative, Ida, and everybody else is invisible and and irrelevant. That's just not even realistic. And so for me, Ida B. Wells was one of my family members, not the only. Mm. Um, And so I knew who she was. I knew that she was famous, you know, during her time. Um, But I also knew that many, I come from not a bit, not as big of a family as some people, but for compared to some of my friends, um, I mean, I'm one of 30 um, mm-hmm. cousins on both sides of my family. And I have tons of, I mean, I, a lot of aunts and uncles and, and there's just a lot of people. And so Ida was one mm-hmm. of the many um, of my ancestors. And the way that we grew up, when I say we, because I have two brothers, was uh, my my grandmother very much focused on making sure that we all um, knew who we were as individual people and had our own sense of identity, our own sense of accomplishments. My grandmother constantly told us, like, you cannot live off of somebody else's accomplishments. You have to have your own. Um, mm-hmm. And so I really appreciate that because I never felt pressure to live up to somebody else's, um, you know, legacy or their accomplishments or any expectations that I would follow in their footsteps or anything like that. It was like, do you be -hmm. the best you you can be, not try to be another Ida. Yeah. You know, we we have to take a quick break. And um, when we come back from our break, though, I want to hear about your mom, because I know that your mother has done or or did some incredible work. I, I want to offer my condolences because I know it's in recent months that your mother uh, passed passed away. Um, but I do want to hear a little bit more about her. And I'd like you, if you could, when we return, to talk about what it was like to go to the White House and be a part of the signing of the Emmett Till anti-lynching act because that was something that um that Ida worked so hard for in terms of just exposing uh the lynchings that were going on in this country but so many people have worked towards the anti-lynching law so when we return I'd like to to start that conversation there and then hear a little bit about your mother we'll be right back with the dismantle racism show I'm your host the Reverend Dr. TLC passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. (laughs) 
Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with my guest today, Michelle Duster. Michelle, before the break, I was asking you about, um, you know, what was it like for you to go to the White House and be a part of this momentous occasion of the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act? Can you talk a little bit about that? The signing of it was it was an amazing experience. Um, I, I still have to remind myself that it really happened because it seemed like a dream, <laughs> like a uh, yeah. Um, it was it was very it was it was a whirlwind, um, mm. and so I, that was part of the reason why I you know after it was over I was like was I really there? <laughs> um, and just the whole experience was surreal. <clears throat> Even when I, you know, got the call um, mm-hmm. to, you know, I got a call saying, um, this is somebody from the White House. And we are wondering if you want to come to, we would love to have you come to the White House. And this, and I'm like, seriously, really? <laughs> um, you know, you almost think it's a prank call. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was very short notice. And so I had to scramble and get myself to Washington, D.C. I live in Chicago. So um, there were some logistics um, to get myself there and um, and then trying to figure out what to say. And honestly, the biggest thing was what to wear. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be a national TV. What am I going to wear? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so. Um, but you couldn't say no to that, right? If the White House calls, you're you're going to try to make your way to the. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, but I mean, and, and, and I just have to, like, make people laugh, you know, like when it, the but it's not actually like untrue that one of the biggest concerns that I had was when I mean they had me walk out of the um, Oval Office into the Rose Garden and I was just myself um, President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris and I was like the only thing that was going through my mind was please don't trip because I just had this like nightmare like idea like if I trip and fall and then I you know knock over the president I'm like oh my god I just put one foot in front of the other um so those were those were the things I was more concerned about than what I was going to say or even thinking about the fact that I was in the same space where my great-grandmother had been over 130 years ago I was just like just don't like embarrass yourself Michelle yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you know what we were all rooting for you that day and so I hope you could feel the energy and how excited everyone was that this act had really uh, been passed and I'm sure that uh, Ida along with all the other ancestors and great cloud of witnesses were looking and were super excited uh about what was happening. So um, so thank you for going on behalf of all of us and not tripping as well when you went out there. But look, tell us a little bit about Maxine. You mentioned how, you know, she was really um, careful to say you have other family as well. And I know that she was phenomenal and she has helped, according to her obituary that I read in the paper, to save hundreds of lives. So tell us a little bit about her. Right. Well, my mother, Maxine Duster, um, she did recently pass away. So I'm still processing that loss. Um, And, uh, you know, I mean, I knew when I was growing up, um, but even more so as an adult, um, just how my mother, my mother was very, very busy. Mm. (laughs) Um, To me, it was the norm to to have a mother who was um, constantly going to meetings and um, doing a lot of work um at home you know like this was pre-computers so i mean she was um like assembling 
uh, things, you know, mailings and going over lists and going over notes and asking me to type things for her on the typewriter. Um, (laughs) And so it was just the norm. She was always on the phone. um, And so to me, that was just what you do. Mm. And I never felt neglected as a child or anything. I mean, my mom sort of incorporated me into what she was doing. So I felt helpful, you know, helping her stuff envelopes and that kind of thing. But she was very involved in different organizations that were focused on education um, specifically education because she she was an educator, um, but then she got involved in or other types of um, employment that was a in, that was sort of advocacy mm-hmm. in education. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I grew up in in an environment where education was uh, very much a focus of a way to make sure that you um, become you know, obviously um, knowledgeable about certain topics, but also qualify to engage in whatever kind of profession that you want to engage in. And um, and we were always taught that, you know, you're just as smart as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so my mom knew that everybody didn't have the same environment um, to, that, you know, that had that kind of focus. And so she wanted to give other kids opportunities to grow to their full potential. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know that um, what your mother would often do would be to pair young Black kids with uh, doctors, Black doctors, and that once they were paired together, some of those people grew up to be doctors. And And so when I made the reference to saving lives, that's actually what one of them said. She saved lives because she encouraged us to become doctors, and that's what we do. And I know she was also, um, you know, you were talking about the number of things that she was involved in. She was instrumental in making sure that certain organizations hired Black people. So that's the kind of advocacy work that she was doing as well, along with with uh, other members in the group that that um, she belonged to. I'm forgetting um, uh, the name of the organization right at this moment, but she really was a part of uh, changing what was happening in Chicago at the time. And so it seems like then between having a grandmother, then having a mother, and then, as you say, other people in your family doing this work, it's almost like you were born to do this work because, uh, or born or nurtured or encouraged to do it. Let's talk a little bit about the work that you're doing, because in addition to you being an author of all of the books that you've written, not only on Ida B. Wells, you've written other books as well. Talk a little bit about the work that you do, particularly around monuments and murals and markers. Can you share a little bit about that? Well, yes. I mean, and and I I have to say that I never had a plan. (laughs) On, um, you know, people have their five-year plan. I mean, I I, I went to uh, an Ivy League school and I was surrounded by people who had their plan. Um, and I now have to laugh about that because there are certain things that I didn't even know existed, you know, when I was in college. And so things have just kind of developed over time and I've decided to be flexible um, and just kind of go with what makes sense at the time. Mm-hmm. And so what I've been doing in the past 15 years or so has been uh, working on, I didn't even know there was a term called public history, but now I know that it, that's what I've been doing, which mm-hmm. is basically creating work um, that educates people about history in public spaces. So any, basically anywhere that's outside of a classroom, if you, you know, see any kind of history. So that includes museums, films, um, and other things that I've been working on, you know, historical markers and monuments, um, street signs, um, films, festivals, like any way that you can learn about history that's outside of a school. And so um, I've been working in various mediums because I feel very strongly that people learn different ways. Um, some people are visual. Some people, you know, are, are read um, text. They, some people like films. Some people can, um, you know, see things in cartoons or whatever. I mean, like I and I so I've been trying to work on in different uh, mediums for different age groups. Um, and so people can be exposed at different points in their lives and different uh, reading levels. 
because to me, it's all important um, and, and they complement each other. And so I've, I worked, I started on the monument with, about my great grandmother on the land where the Ida B. Wells homes were. There was a public housing community, a very substantial public housing community in Chicago named after her that was um, very well known on the south side of Chicago. But it started to be dismantled in 2002. And so I was concerned that people would start to forget her name when the, when the buildings came down. And I thought that was, um, not a good way to for her to fade away. I mean, she was a woman and not a building. And so I advocated uh, to have something created that would help people remember her as the woman, even when the buildings are gone. And so working on that project, uh, in order for me to, uh, we had to raise a lot of money um, <laughs> for the project. And so in order to basically create a, a case to get people to support the project, I did a lot of research to find out how many other monuments there were to uh, black women, how many there were to black people, how many there were to all women, uh, what kind of other public artwork was, um, you know, re represented women. And the more that I learned, the more I felt like, whoa, there's a lot of work to be done mm -hmm. um, because we're incredibly underrepresented. Only about less than 5% mm -hmm. of the monuments in this country are um, represent uh, African-American women specifically, but women in general. And then when you get to statues and other kinds of public artwork, uh, murals and markers and all these other things. I mean, the story of our country through public artwork is very skewed. Mm. It's very skewed towards white men and it's very skewed towards a war. Um, and so I just started feeling more encouraged and interested in working in this space to help tell the narrative of our, of our country in a more truthful way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What do you think that that does for the individual, whether it's someone who's advocating for racism or just for, for the average child to hear these stories about these women and African-Americans? How, how is it helpful? I think it's helpful for African-American children to see people represented in public spaces that look like them and that they can relate to or it looks like, um, you know, somebody in their family. And, mm -hmm. and one of the things that I've really enjoyed is watching um, mm -hmm. children interact with some of the pieces that I've done. They don't know that I was involved in it. And so I'm just like, oh, my God, just to see their face, you know, light up and they're pointing at the uh, pieces and they're looking at it and they're talking about it and their parents are talking to them about it. I mean, it they are very engaged. Mm. Um, and and so and I think it's important for people who are not African-American to see um, African-Americans and women in these spaces so that they they are aware and learn that everybody who did something in this country is not a white man. That's um, right. So, That's you right. know, so yeah. they learn that there, this, this is a multiracial, multi uh, gender um, country and we all contributed to it. And I think it helps us to know what we can become. Right. And, and it helps us to, it uh, helps us to appreciate one another a little bit more. Um, Michelle, we're going to have to take a quick break. And when we come back, you know, uh, one of the books that you wrote was called Impact, Personal Portraits of Activism. I'd love to talk a little bit about that book because, you know, there might, some of my listeners might be saying, well, I'm not going to go out here and do a monument or a mural or, or, or anything that grand or even a marker. And so I want the listeners to be able to know how, how can you just get involved on a personal level on, you know, to do the work of dismantling racism. You have done so much in your life and we only skimmed just a little bit of it in our time <laughs> together. And not everyone is going to be a Michelle, but we want people to do what they can. So when we come back, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about uh, your, your work with that and gathering the stories from the individuals who are in the book. So we'll be right back with the Dismantle Racism Show.
Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Michelle, you are one of those guests I feel like I have to have back again because there's so much work that you're doing. I mean, you offer workshops, you 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 know, you do the writing, you're out there and advocating for our, you know, stories to be told. And so I think there's just so much that people can learn from you and what you are doing. I think it's incredible strength that you're out here and you're traveling all over the place doing the work that you're doing. You're writing uh, articles as well as books, you know, responding to the things that are going on. And so I just think that you are an incredible, incredible woman uh, in your own right who's doing this work. And so I just, again, want to just thank you for the work that you do and the ways that you keep showing up. Um, so not everyone is Michelle. Talk to me a little bit about. Uh, the stories that were in your personal impact book, you know, what are some of the things And I would encourage people to go out and pick up the book, uh, but what are some of the people, the things that everyday folks are doing to dismantle racism and to, and to advocate for others? Um, you know, one of the things that, I mean, the reason why um, my partner um, Trina Sotera and I decided to edit this book um, we were just interested in helping people um, come up with ideas and to feel that they can make a difference because, you know, the Ida B, there was only one Ida B. Wells, there will only be one of her, and there's only going to be one Martin Luther King and, you know, some of the, the household names that people hear about. Um, and so, I, you know, I just felt very strongly that people need to understand that everybody can make a difference. If everybody does a little bit, then, you know, we can all change the world. And so we did a call for submissions um, asking people what kind of ways have you um, made it made any kind of change in your in personal environment. And um, and so it was interesting for us to see uh, the kind of things that people, um, you know, submitted. Um, quite a few were in the education field. And so they were doing things with students. I mean, creating programs in their schools. Um, creating activities for kids to be exposed to different things um, and, and helping kids learn that they have a voice. Um, there were people who talked about, um, I mean, it's, it, these are kind of micro type of act, um, activism type things. So um, somebody talking about how 
she created a program for kids to learn about different hair textures and to recognize that everybody has different kind of hair and it's all beautiful. Um, this one woman wrote about how she advocated to have of the visitation room in a prison um, painted a different color because, you know, the color does affect your mood. Mm -hmm. I mean, so these are the type of, you know, just if you say like it's activism to paint a room, um, but it does affect the experience um, in in this kind of, you know, sad (laughs) um, kind of environment situation where somebody is visiting their parent who is imprisoned. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's just some examples of, you know, just something that somebody did to change make a change in, 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 the, in the sphere that they have influence. Mm-hmm. See, and I love that. I love that, that, that in a way we may not think of it as grand, but if you think about changing that room, for instance, in a prison, that impacts the mood of the prisoner, that impacts the mood of the person that's visiting, and it may have an influence on how those people are going to act the rest of the day. Like it's a difference between, you know, if a room is bright and cheery, it's going to make you feel a little bit more upbeat. And so I really want my listeners to understand that it's the small, steady acts that we do day by day that helps us to dismantle racism. And so my hope is that by listening to the show, that people will be able to pull out uh, something that they can do from hearing, you know, your, your story and the stories of others, because I'm sure like you said about your grandmother, you get tired sometimes of doing this work. And maybe there are times you even wonder, am I making a difference, but it's really about continuing um, down the road and, and continuing down the road with with um, just persistent and steady speed. Michelle, as we, we get ready to close, what would be some final thoughts that you might have, uh, something that maybe we haven't shared or covered in our time together that you'd like to leave our audience with? Well, one of the things that I think is very important, um, Dr. TLC, for people to recognize is that they do have power. Um, They do have a voice. And I think too many times people feel like, well, you know, I'm not whatever X, you know, fill in the blank um, that they feel intimidated by. But, you know, I think it's important for people to recognize that small acts do make a difference and everybody has a voice and everybody needs to speak up. Um, for what they think is right and what they think um, can make a difference. And so, you know, just get engaged, um, you know, um, be, know that who you are, what you think, what you can do is important and um, and use your voice in whatever way you feel comfortable with. You know, mm-hmm. some people are out here in the streets, you know, with bullhorns and signs and, and marching, and that's not comfortable for some people, but you can write a letter to your elected official. You can do voter registration. Um, you can, um, you know, advocate for something like just say a, a ramp for, for, to make something wheelchair accessible. Anything, you know, that, that can just kind of make an impact on yourself, your community, um, in order to make the world a better place for, you know, so that we all um, have, you know, access uh, to, to everything to, you know, everything is sort of open um, for, uh, for things to be equitable. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and one thing that we didn't even get a chance to talk about it, but it is something that folks can do in their community you all um, started a Bronzeville festival so that people could get to know that community a little bit more. And so folks can start festivals in their communities. They could even, if they don't want to do the whole community, they could start with something smaller like their block. Uh, but, But I just love all the different things that you're doing and showing people that you can get involved. Now, how can people see some of the, if you could really quickly, what are some of the murals that people can either go online and look for? Because I've, I've seen a couple of them, but I'd like you to mm-hmm. if you could just kind of list a couple of them or where people can go to see some of the work that you've been engaged in with the murals and all of that. Right. Well, people can visit my website, which is MLD. 
rights.com. Rights, W-R-I-T-E-S. Actually, even if you Google my name, my website comes up, I think, on the first page. Um, but one thing I actually want to mention before we end is uh, I'm working on a really big project, which is a mural, a, a monument to suffragists um, that will go on the mall in Washington, D.C. And here we are in 2023, and there's not one monument to women on the entire mall um, in Washington, D.C. There are more mer- there are more monuments and statues to mermaids in this country mm-hmm. than there are to, um, you know, to, to some real women. And so we really need to get real women represented and not these fictional uh, mermaids and goddesses and, you know, uh, people like Bewitched from, uh, from, I mean, Samantha from Bewitched. That's mm-hmm. the kind of stuff. That's the kind of things that are represented w- of women. So this monument, um, will be the first mm. to suffragists. And um, it's, I, I feel very strongly that it's needed because we, half of the population became enfranchised to vote as mm. a result of the 19th Amendment. And so all of the women who made that happen need to be recognized. Yes. Well, Michelle Duster, I want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show to help me celebrate my 100th <laughs> episode I want to just thank the listening audience as well for all the ways that you show up and support me and do the way the work of racial equity. Please go to my website, sacredintelligence.com, if you want to know more about me and the things that I have done as well. And please stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. May today you tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices that will manifest your greatness while manifesting the greatness of others. Make it a priority to share love, hope, compassion, and peace today. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape driving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. 
Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about help to advocate for all of us. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 